0: In this episode of the Church Security Roll Call, we're going to be discussing lessons learned from a church shooting. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Chris with the Sheepdog Church Security Academy, and this is your Church Security Roll Call. Today we're going to be discussing the 2014 Word Tabernacle Church Shooting. If you'd like to read that article, go to our website, sheepdogchurchsecurity.net, and look under the News tab. So let's begin in the Bible. This is Judges 19, verse 22a. And it reads like this, Now as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, wicked men, beset the house round about, and beat at the door. Good verse for us today, because that's essentially what happened here. This group of teenagers, young People were playing basketball at a church on a church property on um, Monday after school. And a drive-by shooter came, shot about 15 rounds, struck five kids, and one of the kids taking a bullet to the eye. Um, Still to this day survived, but is crippled and um, has trouble communicating. So absolutely tragic situation. And these are things that can happen at our churches, and we need to really focus on what can we do to mitigate that kind of thing, even when it's extremely uh, random, if you will. So before we continue, I just want to remind you to share this video with other people on your team. Get the download so you have the talking notes, and then uh, have a conversation, especially if you have a church that has, like, a public outreach program. You know, I'm thinking about churches that put together basketball courts to draw kids in from the community and kind of an outreach, give them some place to go safely. And that's exactly what happened here at this church is they did have a public basketball court. And they, you know, kids would come in of all ages. Um, Of the kids that were shot, most of them were extremely young. The kid that caught the bullet into the eye was uh, 12 years old. And so let's get into this situation a little bit and then we'll talk about what we can do to kind of mitigate the risk even when it's something as um, difficult to prevent as this is. So after school on Monday, January 27, 2014, several neighborhood kids gathered at a basketball courts of the Word Tabernacle Church to play ball. Just before 6 p.m., a person wearing a ski mask walked, walked up on the sidewalk and fired several shots, at least 15, into the crowd. Four of the boys, aged 12 to 19, were hit. A 12-year-old boy was hit in the head, into the eye, and out of the back of the head. The other boys were not wounded as seriously. The shooter ran down the street and into a waiting SUV, which sped away. The pastor of the church was in his office when he heard the shots. He said the, um, these were closer than those he had heard before, so apparently gunfire in his neighborhood is relatively normal. Um, he also noted how many rounds were shot, a lot. Um, he ran out the back door and over to the basketball courts. There he cradled a 12-year-old boy with a gunshot wound to his head in his arms until medics arrived. Uh, medics arrived, police, uh, in a short time. The four wounded boys were taken to the hospitals, the teens were treated and released, but the 12-year-old was admitted with critical con- in critical condition. Years later, after surgeries and therapy, he began improving and gaining functions. Um, while police were working on identifying the shooter, many persons thought the motive might have been a revenge for an earlier drive-by shooting. Thanks to the witnesses and tips, a suspect was identified and arrested. He was 17, but charged as an adult, convicted in May 2015, on four counts of attempted first-degree murder and sentenced to 16 years and nine months. He is currently in prison. So far, he's had six infractions in prison, including one this year. Uh, February 2014, hundreds of people met at Word Tabernacle Church. They wanted to know why gun violence is rising in Rocky Mountain. Um, And the article goes on. I'm just going to say check it out. What I really want to get into is the lessons learned on this, and Wesley's got some good ones on there, but I'm gonna kinda take it in another direction. You know, sometimes these acts of violence are in a sense extremely random, and so for us to kinda prevent them is extremely difficult and sometimes straight out impossible, but that doesn't mean that there aren't still steps we can take to mitigate the risk. So nothing's 100%, but crime prevention has proven to work. And so we can apply basic crime prevention techniques and reduce the risk. One of the interesting things, I'm just going to back up a little bit here is this, is just recently, a few weeks ago, I was talking with one of our um, academy alumni. We meet every Thursday. We talk, um, you know, it's kind of an open discussion, so if you're alumni, check that out. But anyway... Um, we're having a discussion. And he actually owns a security company that caters to churches. And so he's licensed, wearing a uniform, all that good stuff. And he was um, brought on at this church to provide security in, uh, at their basketball courts that they built intentionally to bring in community kids, have, give them some place to go. And um, he was talking about a fight that occurred on the property. And we discussed it a little bit and you know and even though he wasn't asking me we kind of did some brainstorming of how could we have prevented it from occurring or at least mitigate it from occurring. And now think about this, this is a in his case it's a basketball court. He's there in uniform and providing security for that and still a fight broke out. So is there anything else that we can do? And, you know, we kind of talked about curfew, and we'll get into that a little bit. Um, um, But for the most part, it was like, you know, there aren't a whole lot of answers here. And so what I want to do is this, is I just want to talk about basic crime prevention techniques that could be and should be used on all of our church properties. So if you don't have a basketball court or something that's open to the community, it's, this is, these lessons learned are still things that you should be doing at your church property. So the first one I'm going to talk about, and it's kind of a fancy word, it's called territoriality, which basically means this is you have to, one of the ways to reduce crime is show ownership of your property, making distinct lines of where the church property is, um, usually using things like landscaping. So a good example is this. If you mow your property and it goes right along the property line, you know, and there's a clear break of what you're maintaining, that works. Um, putting in bushes on your property. Once again, you're maintaining it, and you have nice bushes that kind of say, here's the line, here's the back line of our property, or here are the lines of our property. Fencing works, um, if you want to put in fencing. Another thing that you could do is signs. that say, you know, ABC Church, welcome, you know, that kind of, most churches have some sort of sign. But other signs were exit or entry and all that kind of stuff, It just kinda shows that you own the property. Um, The next thing is that you take care of the property. So property maintenance makes a big difference. Some of you have probably heard of the broken window um, situation. So basically what this theory says in crime prevention is, let's say you have an old building and all the windows are intact and then somebody comes along and throws a, a rock through a window. Well, the next people that come along that notice the window's been broken and it hasn't been repaired will then start throwing rocks. And before you know it, all the windows will be broken out in the building. The idea is crime brings crime. Some of you who live in areas where graffiti happens, one of the things they'll tell you is you see graffiti, you need to take it down as soon as possible. That means you always have buckets of paint laying around or whatever to get that graffiti down. Because once you let somebody sign their name, And you don't take care of it immediately. Someone else is going to do it. Someone else is going to do it. And before you know it, you're going to have graffiti all over the place. So we have to take care of our property. That also goes back to yard maintenance, right? So are the bushes trimmed? Are the uh, trees trimmed nice? Does it look like somebody, this is our property and we care about it. And these all reduce crime. Um, The next thing is, is of course lighting. Lighting is the least expensive crime prevention tool out there, especially now with LED lights. You can put a lot of light on your property, making sure that people feel like they're being seen, or can see and are being seen. Um, There's something about darkness that just kind of brings out behaviors, poor behaviors out of people, because they feel like whatever they do, they're gonna get away from. People can't see what they're doing. And so getting good lighting on the property really makes sense. Those ball courts, definitely getting lighting on there. The other thing that I want to talk about, and I kind of hinted on it, is curfew. A lot of jurisdictions now across the country, law enforcement jurisdictions across the country, have and enforce curfew. Now, when I was a little kid, I don't think the cops, if there was a curfew, they did not enforce it. But um, And we'd be out all hours of the night, and nobody would chase us home. In fact, we would see the cops, and they would just wave. And it was late at night and dark, and I don't know why. But anyway, maybe there wasn't a curfew law. But as they've put up curfew laws across the country, what's happened is crime has gone down. And it's the crimes of convenience. You know, it's the thefts. It's the vandalisms. It's the things that you imagine um, teenage boys get into. They just get into things. But if you have a curfew that keeps them off the street, it keeps them out of the neighborhood and gets them at home, and it works. So we can do kind of the same thing, and that was my suggestion to my alumni, is like, even though they weren't looking for an answer, and actually he has no authority to change anything, it's actually the church that decides what they're going to do. But anyway, having a curfew at least that mimics or follows the... um, you know, the, uh, you know, the ordinance, the city's law or the jurisdiction's law on um, curfew makes sense. And it's just one more thing that we can do. Hey, you know, the let's say the curfew is 10 o'clock at night. Well, that's when the basketball court closes, which kind of brings us to the next thing. You know, if you have a fenced-in area, having gates with locks makes sense. You know, so we can clear them off the court, say, hey, it's 10 o'clock. You know it's curfew. It's time to close down the you know basketball court. You can chase them out of there, shut the door, lock it, and it's kind of secure then, and nobody's going to get in there. Um, or keep, it'll keep most people. Anyone not determined, it'll keep them out of there because now it's locked, and maybe the big overhead lights are turned off. That kind of thing. But so curfew can really help. The other thing is this: is if you have an outreach to the neighborhood kids, it makes sense then that it's, that you actually have adults there to kind of serve as ref, you know, referees, if you will. That, I mean, if it's an outreach, let it be an outreach. It's one thing to build a court and just ignore it, and then you're going to have the problems. Or you have a court, and you actually have some volunteers, some adults that are there, that are there to minister to the kids, kind of work as ref, referees. You know, kids are going to have arguments. They're going to have disagreements. If there's a foul, you know, uh, you know, and I'm not necessarily talking about the the game, but if there's a foul and there's no one there to call left or right, you kind of get it. Now you have an argument that maybe becomes physical. And so, if we're going to have an outreach, let's have adults there that can kind of monitor the situation, interact with the kids. You know, once again, if it's an outreach, the whole design is to show them that you care. And not only that you care, that maybe even God cares too. And so this is why having adults there to kind of serve as ref- you know, ref- referees, if you will, makes a lot of sense. The other thing then is to, of course, in my alumni's uh, alum's situation, actually having security on site. Now, this is a decision that you and the church have to make based on your neighborhood and maybe based on things that are starting to happen on the property and to kind of manage that. So those are some basic crime prevention techniques that can actually help reduce the risk. Now, a determined person is a determined person. I mean, if you got a road going right next to the basketball court and there's a revenge shooting or there's something or who knows, you know, And they're just going to shoot, they're going to shoot, and there's not much we can do at that point other than our follow-up being, you know, um, was the pastor here trained in any sort of emergency trauma? Did he have any training, any supplies for that? It doesn't say in the article, and Wesley's research didn't kind of flesh that out, and um, maybe that could help you know, at least have somebody and have the materials, the equipment necessary to provide that immediate aid because it saves lives. I mean, let's, I mean, we know that, right? Tourniquets, pressure bandages can save lives. And so in this case, you have that kind of shooting, you got five people injured, you can provide aid to those that you can provide aid to. And, you know, in this case, you know, when the paramedics get there, they could take it to the next level, right? So Anyway, so that's that's basically it. That's basically the lessons learned for this one. Use crime prevention techniques. They actually work. And that's why many departments, um, you know, both sheriff's offices and police departments have crime prevention officers because it does reduce crime, which kind of brings up another lessons learned or a to-do on your list. You know, a lot of these guys, when I was a crime prevention officer, I loved to get a call from a facility that wanted me to come and do a quick evaluation, talk to them about what events they do and that kind of things and how they can mitigate mitigate crime. And that's what they're there for. You pay your property tax, that's what they're there for. So contact your local PD, your local sheriff's office, and ask them, hey, do you have a crime prevention officer? And if they do, hey, can, I, can we set up a time for them to come out and discuss what we could do to make this property safer, then they most certainly will do that. So by all means do that. Other than that, um, my two new books are out, uh, Shepherding the Sheepdogs. That's intended for leaders that run safety ministries and they kind of need a good overview of what the training looks like for the team. Also what their unique responsibilities are for leading a safety ministry. And then the second book is we came out with the second edition of Defending the Flock. And so it's probably about 30% new content and everything's rewritten. And so just to make it easier to understand, more clarity, you know, certainly I got a lot of feedback on the first book, which was extremely good. But at the same time, there's still things to learn. So that's also out. Both of those books are available on Amazon. And uh, I really encourage you to get a copy of those. Other than that, thank you so much for being here this week, and hey, let's be careful out there. This program is made for informational purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice.